Welcome to CMAJ Podcasts. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Deputy Editor. Today I'll be talking about the August 11, 2015 issue of the Canadian Medical Association Journal. In this issue, we cover a wide range of topics, from air pollution and preventing urinary tract infections in patients with spinal cord injury, to reporting adverse drug reactions, the human microbiome, and a cautionary tale about eating wild mushrooms. First, though, let's talk about the two research studies published in this issue. Readmissions within 30 days after hospital discharge are common, but prediction models are poor at identifying which patients are at high risk of readmission, suggesting that currently unrecognized factors likely play an important role. The authors of this first research paper decided to explore the effect of frailty, a common, frequently underdiagnosed condition, in risk of early admission or death after discharge. 495 patients were followed for 30 days after discharge from seven medical wards in two teaching hospitals in Edmonton, Alberta. The composite outcome of readmission or death within 30 days after discharge was higher among patients with moderate to severe frailty, around 24%, as defined by the Validated Clinical Frailty Scale, than among those who weren't frail, around 13.8%. Although frailty added additional prognostic information to predictive models that include sex, age, and other factors, only moderate to severe frailty was an independent risk factor for readmission or death, with an adjusted odds ratio of 2.19. The authors conclude that frailty is common and associated with a substantially increased risk of early admission or death, and suggest that the clinical frailty score could be useful in identifying high-risk patients being discharged from general internal medicine wards. An author interview is available through CMAJ Podcasts. Much attention recently, such as with the Choosing Wisely campaign, has been focused on reducing use of low-value healthcare services. The second research paper in this issue looks at preoperative testing before low-risk surgical procedures. Guidelines recommend limited or no testing, for example chest x-rays and electrocardiograms, before low-risk procedures such as endoscopy and ophthalmic surgery. In this retrospective cohort study in Ontario, the authors used routine health records for 1.5 million people to explore trends and institutional and regional variation in pre-op testing. They found that electrocardiography, for example, was used before 31% of low-risk procedures, while chest x-rays were used before around 11%. There was considerable variation between institutions. The use of pre-op electrocardiograms ranged from 3.4% to 88.8%, depending on the institution. This is hard to explain on clinical grounds, suggesting that some hospitals may be providing too much low-value care. Perhaps feeding institutional-level data back to administrators may help to improve local processes, say the authors. Podcasts with the authors of this study is available through CMAJ Podcasts. Two CMAJ Open Research studies are also highlighted in this issue. One looks at who prescribes cannabinoids for non-cancer pain. These are mostly physicians who are comfortable with prescribing these drugs. While the other looks at another example of use of a low-value healthcare service, in this case, repeat colonoscopy after a first screening colonoscopy with a negative result. As with the previous research paper, this study found use of the low-value service was common in Ontario. About one-third of those who had a negative first screening colonoscopy between 2000 and 2007 had another within five and a half years. 
And again, there was regional variation, with early colonoscopies more likely when performed in non-hospital settings or by general surgeons compared with gastroenterologists. Urinary tract infections remain the most frequent infection in patients with spinal cord injury, about two and a half episodes per year on average, and can result in septicemia and death. These patients are predisposed to urinary tract infections because of urinary stasis resulting from neurogenic bladder. The review in this issue, based on a comprehensive literature search, looks at the prevention of urinary tract infections and approach to treatment in patients with spinal cord injury and provides practical advice for clinicians, including choice of catheter and drainage systems and the role of cranberry products. It also describes new modalities coming down the pipeline, such as use of bacterial interference and sacral neuromodulation. Now, have you ever sent a patient for a cataract surgery consultation and had the patient come back talking about having to pay for lenses and specialized diagnostic testing or procedures? In Canada, patients with cataracts can have their vision restored by publicly insured, safe and effective surgery without paying out of pocket. However, non-insured services related to refractive correction are frequently offered to these patients. For example, the use of lenses that reduce their need for corrective lenses after surgery. The analysis paper in this issue looks at the ethical challenges in discussing these types of surgical add-ons with patients, with an author interview available through CMAJ Podcasts. The commentaries in this issue look at two important healthcare systems issues, reporting of adverse drug reactions and the supply of physicians for remote rural Canada. The authors of the first commentary say that while Bill C-17, Vanessa's law, was passed in November of 2014 to improve drug safety by strengthening post-market surveillance and research, existing reporting platforms are poorly fitted to clinical practice and are not well used by clinicians. They recommend a new reporting framework, which we talk about as well in an author interview available through CMAJ Podcasts. The second commentary links to a CMAJ open article and discusses ways in which medical schools can enhance the supply of physicians to remote areas of Canada. Ever feel tempted to eat a wild mushroom? Think you can tell the difference between a poisonous mushroom and one that is safe to eat? You may think again after reading the case in this issue, which describes a 52-year-old woman who ate mushrooms foraged from a municipal park. Unfortunately, they were poisonous from the Amanita family, and the patient developed fulminant liver failure requiring liver transplantation. There is no known antidote for this type of poisoning. The principles of the management of this type of poisoning include supportive care, consultation with the poison control center, and prompt consideration of transplantation, say the authors. And you need to watch out for a false recovery period. The rest of the practice section looks at an approach to the diagnosis and management of hemochromatosis, including the role of genetic testing. Five things to know about the human microbiome and its effect on health, and a nice image of mandibulatory round out the section. Elsewhere in the issue are humanities articles on the differences between early modern dissections that were hands-on processes attracting crowds of onlookers and today's private autopsies and dissections, and patients who choose not to go gently into that good night, as well as news articles on surgical black boxes, assisted dyeing, and fluorinated chemicals, among other hot topics. Finally, the issue includes an editorial on air pollution in Canada, which focuses on the need for the federal government to take serious action on this health issue. 
A large cohort study in Southern California found that pollutants in the air affected lung development in children that persisted into adulthood. The good news is that a later study showed there were improvements in lung function as anti-pollution measures were instituted. We can do this too, but we need to adopt global guidelines at a federal level and enforce them in all jurisdictions. Think about this as you go to the ballot box. For more on the August 11th issue, see cmaj.ca. I'm Dr. Diane Kelso, Deputy Editor. Thanks for listening.